0: The days are exciting that are ahead of us. The Lord is mobilizing his people. He's not looking for the biggest crowd. He's not looking for the most qualified. He's looking for those that would say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Aren't you glad that he's not chosen many noble ones? He's not chosen many wise. He's chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of man. And guess, guess what? That means I qualify. I fall into that category. He has picked us and he has called us. What we are doing and we are preparing ourselves for is we are being called to reimagine the church. The church reimagined. the church reimagined. You say, what do you, do we need to reimagine the church? Yeah, we need to reimagine the church because perhaps we've lost sight of what the church is all about. You know, our mind thinks in pictures. When you hear a word, That word will oftentimes associate a picture that will appear in your brain. That's just kind of how we're wired. So, when you hear the word church, oftentimes each one of us will form a mental picture when we hear the word church itself. And here are just a couple of images that I want to show you. So, just kind of scroll through them one at a time and we'll talk about each one. When When you think of church, maybe you think of something like this. Maybe you think of a steeple. Is that the church? No, that's not the church, but perhaps maybe you think of a steeple when you think of a church. Maybe you were raised in a little town, and, and when you were going into Main Street, you saw the beautiful spires of all the churches on all four corners. <laughs> what a sign of the body of Christ, right? Churches all over the corner. What about that? Powerful choir song. Maybe when you hear the word church, maybe, maybe you think of a, of a full choir, and that's what you associate with. To be the church. Is that the church? Does it it look just like that? Is that the the right choir robes for a church? Right? Does the choir leader have to have a bald head? Is Is that what a church looks like? Let's check out the next one. Now, that's what I think of sometimes. When I think of a church, I think of a little white church up on the hill that's flanked by a cemetery. Now, what does that tell you? yes sir the church the churches are the placeholders for the cemeteries. God help us if that's all we think of when we think of a church as a little white building with a cemetery all around it. Is that the church? No, of course not. Try something else. Oh, look at that. I want to pick on some of you contemporary people. Does that look like the church to is that is that the church? the disco church? so when you, Let me ask you, is that the church? Is that what it's supposed to look like? Is that the model? Is that what we need to be looking for? No, of course not. Do we got another one? Is that the church? Ah, come on now, the hipster preacher, you gotta have the look, right? I was in American Eagle last week and my son was trying to get me, dad, you need these skinny jeans. I said, son, I do not need skinny jeans. I'm not suffering from a delusion of my age, right? <laughs> not picking on our dear brother here, but you know, I, is that what is that what we got to do right there? Is that the is that do I, I got to get that right leather jacket and that gold chain? Is that kind of how the is that the church? Is that what we need to be? Is that the church? Nothing's wrong, but is is, is that it? No, I don't necessarily think so. What about this? What is is that the church? Maybe that's the goal. Maybe if we can just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger auditoriums, maybe that's what we're supposed to look like. Is that the goal? Is that the church? Not necessarily, huh? In other words, we got to reimagine the church because many of us have images very much like that that come into our mind when we hear the word church. And every time we think that way, it limits what the church really is. Do you remember back in school, Some of you are old enough to remember this before the days of iPads and all the technology, but the teachers would give out something called handouts. Remember handouts? You probably still get handouts, but the dreaded handout or the dreaded worksheet. Do you remember when they would hand out the worksheet and you would look at it and you could barely read it? Because it was a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. And you're sitting there straining your fourth grade eyes trying to figure out what is really on this handout. Because somewhere along the way, the original was lost, and they started making copies of the copy, and then copies of the copy, and the copies of the copies copy. And over years, what happens is we begin to lose sight of, of what, what it really says. Now, we can look at it, and we can like, yeah, I kind of see that, and I, and I kind of see that, but it's lost its crispness and its clarity you see so what must happen is is we need a fresh copy we need a fresh copy now when you study the bible and you and you study scripture throughout judaic and christian history literally 6000 years give or take of the history of the people of god right from adam and eve until present you study history and you and you study the the patterns of behavior you know people are rather predictable aren't they People are pretty predictable. I've learned in ministry, I can really be a great prophet, not because I have the gift of prophecy. It's because I can look at somebody's past and I can accurately predict their future. You don't have to be a prophet. Just sit down and hear somebody tell you the story of their life over the previous five years, and then you can accurately predict what the next year, two, and three is going to look like. The only thing that changes that is an encounter with Jesus. Apart from that, it's going to repeat itself. So through 6,000 years of history of the people of God, you see this particular cycle. Look at this. This is the basic cycle of humans. Right? You're watching this? There's rebellion. And then rebellion comes, God reacts, and there's retribution. God begins to shake everything that can be shaken. As a result of the shaking, there is repentance. The people of God repent. God restores them back. And in that place of restoration, then the rest of God comes. And in that place of rest, oftentimes it drags on a little bit long. And guess what starts all over again? Rebellion. Study your Bibles. Study the people of Israel. In particular, one book in the Bible you want to study, study the book of Judges. And you'll see this pattern repeat over and over and over and over again. And God supernaturally, providentially, is working within this pattern to accomplish His purposes. And this purpose is not just at the macro level, it is also at the micro level. You can actually see your own life there, can't you? Did anybody see yourself up there? You're in a place of rebellion. You're doing things that you shouldn't do, and all of a sudden what happens? The rock falls on top of you. You wake up. You repent. You get right with God. He restores you. You walk with peace and joy. You get comfortable. You get rested. That drags on. You get lazy. And what happens again? You fall right back into the cycle. God supernaturally intends over his people to move the people of God in a specific direction that will bring forth the culmination of the ages. Do you believe God is doing that? God is actively doing this. So periodically what happens is, is that when the people of God begin to enter into this place of rebellion or rest or laziness, you realize laziness is a form of rebellion? Let that set in for a second, okay? Sometimes we think of, you know, rebellion. Oh, he must be an axe murderer, or he's, a, he's an alcoholic, or he's a murderer. I mean, no, laziness, slothfulness is a form of rebellion, isn't it? It really is. So, oh, my gosh, I might be in rebellion. Yeah, we might be. And what does God begin to do? He begins to shake things up. Periodically, the Lord revives his church, and he begins to shake them up, and it produces Repentance. Now how does the Lord do this? How, what is the Lord's angle? What is he trying to accomplish? What does he want us to do in recognizing if we're challenged to reimagine the church and we understand that we are thousands of years into this thing and for, for you know, many of us, we've got a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy and we're looking at this thing and it's not really clear. We've, even, we've forgotten what the original even looks like. And the Lord wants to move us into a place of reimagining these things. And we see this take place in the book of Revelation as it relates to the church of Ephesus. Listen to this passage in Revelation 2 and 5. It says, therefore, he's telling this church, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you what? Did it first. And do the deeds you did it first. In other words, he always points us back to ground zero. Do the deeds you did at first. Does anybody remember what you were like when you were born again? Do you remember the zeal? Do you remember the passion? Do you remember the hunger for God's word? Do you remember those times? And God says, in order to to move forward, you got to go back. David put it like this, Lord, restore the joy of your salvation. Lord, restore that back in me that I can begin to move forward. When we begin to repent, we say, Lord, what do you want? God points us back to when we first met him oftentimes. And he points us back to the word and says, this is what I want you to be. One of the first passages I memorized as a Christian in Camp Junaluska, somewhere in North Georgia or South Carolina, somewhere, it was Hebrews 13:8, My very first passage, it wasn't John 3:16; it was actually Hebrews 13:8 for some reason. It was Jesus Christ is the same, what? Yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, he's the same. He doesn't change. He's consistent, and he's constant. He's doing what he's always done. And we are in such a season right now. Where do we go to rediscover and to reimagine what the church is all about? I don't have time to get into this story. It'll be for another day, but... When we moved back here um, in 2000, after 2000, to plant a church, we were leaving another church where we had served as the youth pastor and children's pastor for about five, six years. And this was a very difficult place. This was a, this was a difficult church. And this was difficult people. And I remember when we first began working at this church, we were so idealistic. We were so zealous for the Lord. We were ready, man, to take this community for Jesus. And after about five or six years, that community almost took Jesus out of us. I was reminded of the words of Jesus to Peter that Satan was going to sift him like wheat, but I have prayed for you that in the end your faith will not fail. Sometimes the Lord will take you almost to that place where you're being sifted, sifted, sifted. And it was after being there five and a half, six years, God released us, a miraculous story, but to come back home after being away for 10 years to start a church. But I'll tell you, we were broken. We were hurting. We were disillusioned, discouraged, depressed, despondent. Any other D word you can think of? And I remember in that moment when God had called us to do something that we really didn't want to do. When the Lord delivered us from that place and he called us to do this thing, literally, if you hadn't made a list of everything I didn't want to do, that was on it. I mean, it really was. It was not like, oh, hallelujah, we're being delivered. Hallelujah. No, it's like, oh, no, Lord, you gotta be kidding. But we knew it was what God wanted us to do. Sometimes when God calls you to do something, when God asks you to do something, it'll oftentimes not be what you wanna do. Be prepared for that. Really? Lord, I'll do this, but I won't do that. Well, the, that, that thing you're saying won't do is everything God's probably gonna ask you to do. Obedience is more important than sacrifice because the Lord knows what you need. The Lord knows how he desires to use you. And the good news is the Lord knows what will fulfill you much more than what you think will. And God moved us into that place. And I remember in that moment after coming through such a such a difficult time, and, and I remember, and I, Lord, I I sit down and I flipped open to the book of Acts I said Lord what did they do what did they do Lord and as we began the journey said Lord we really want to be this kind of church it wasn't perfect but we came through a difficult time and God called us to reimagine the church and I believe that is exactly where we are as a body of believers right now the Lord has called us into such a season where we're reimagining the church, we're saying, Lord, what do you want us to be? We're not gonna be a people who are content and just taking another lap around Mount Sinai. Yeah. Take another lap, take another lap, take. Don't you, don't you wanna quit taking a lap? Yeah. There was a moment when God said, now turn north. In other words, go up the mountain, quit going around the mountain. And God's desire is for us to make a turn and to move forward. In all that he has for us. Let me illustrate it for you this way. When I was in third grade, my mom and dad got me a go kart. Who remember having a go kart? Man, they were the best thing in the world, go karts. But well, we lived in a neighborhood, so you know, space was of a premium. So I remember riding my go kart in a circle around the backyard, in the front yard. I thought, you just round, 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 round. Now, over days and weeks, what happened is these ruts began to form deep ruts, and my go-kart would just stay in these ruts all the way, it was awesome. You could actually take your hands off of the wheel and mash on the gas pedal, and it, did I feel like that Six Flags ride, you just, can't, you just can't wreck, you're just going around and around and around. But it was very difficult to get it out of the rut. Now, I found out if I wanted to drive the go-kart into the front yard, I'd have to get it out of the rut. It was too heavy for me to pick up. But I figured out something, that if I picked up enough speed and I jerked the wheel to the right, What would happen it would jump out of the rut now it was a very painful experience it would shake and i mean you would just be i mean just like it was scary you thought the whole thing was going to flip over but in the process of that it got me out of the rut you see sometimes what god does to move you and to move me we got to get out of the ruts that we have created and oftentimes the ruts are so deep and they're so ingrained it takes something relatively unique, sometimes cataclysmic, sometimes even borderline crazy as the world may define it, but to break us free from the rut. You see, that's what the Lord is doing in this place. He said, this has all been in a hurry. Yes, it's been in a hurry because the Lord looks down upon you and he looks down upon me and he looks at his people and realizes, I want to get you free from the ruts you're in because I want you to make greater kingdom impact. So you pick up speed, you turn the wheel and you jump out of the rut. Can I tell you, one week from the day, we're going to jump out of the rut. Yes, sir. Now, right now, it's kind of, you know, and you're, you're feeling the shaking of it. but we're going to jump out in the rut. And then you have the opportunity to be a place of freedom and joy and being able to move forward and not being trapped. What's frustrating is when you're in a rut and you don't even know it. You're just busy going in circles. You don't even know you're not getting anywhere, but you're just going in circles. God's got something so great for us as we begin to move forward part of that comes in how we behave as a people. Jeff shared this with us last week and these are the behavior things that we are gonna do and we're gonna hold ourselves accountable to. These are beautiful, one is aiming high, one is bowing low, one is pouring out, aiming high. Lord, what we do for you, we want to be excellent. We want to be good, we want it to, Lord, do all that you do as unto the Lord. With the resources and the abilities that you have given us, we want to maximize those and do things well for you, Lord. We want to bow low. We want to say, Lord, you didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom. We want to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, trusting him, and he will exalt us in due season. Of course, we want to be a people who pours out as a body of believers and also as individuals that we are willing to give of ourselves. We're willing to inconvenience ourselves for others. Today, I want to share with you some things that I believe that are going to be core pillars for our churches. We go back to the book of Acts, and and we hear the Lord saying, do the deeds that you did at first. Where was the first? The first is in the book of Acts. I want to take four snapshots this morning. We can't cover all 28 chapters in the book of Acts today. Anybody want to do that? I don't have anything to do this afternoon. Probably not. But I want to give you four snapshots of what things are going to look like around here. What we're going to do, the, the direction from the Lord, four snapshots from the book of Acts. They are growing upward, carrying inward, reaching outward, and marching forward. Those are the areas, those are the four pillars that's going to constitute what our church is going to be about. These are the things that we're going to do for the kingdom of God. Number one, let me define those for you a bit. Growing upward. How many of you think we need to grow up? to attain the full stature in the faith. We got to grow up. We got to become mature, fruit-bearing believers. We're going to do that here through instruction in the Word and then living in the Spirit. We got to know God's Word, and we got to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see an excellent snapshot of this in Acts chapter 17, and I want to show these things with you because this is who we are right here. This is why you're here this morning. Acts 17 and verse 10. It says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to this place called Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were noble-minded and those as those in Thessalonica. For they received, look at this, they received the word with great what? Eagerness. Examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They received the word with eagerness. What word did they receive? They studied the scriptures to validate the word. What was the word? It was the gospel, wasn't it? Who is the word? Jesus, John 1 says, Jesus says, is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. They received the word. They received the gospel message. They received the truth. They evaluated the Jewish scriptures and said, this is the man. They accepted the exclusivity of Jesus. Everybody say that. Say exclusivity. Exclusivity Exclusivity of Jesus. You know, this is important that we got to wrap our hearts and minds around because it's being questioned in the church world today. Jesus said some very powerful things. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen who? You have seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He even said one day that I and the Father are one. one. And he really ticked off the religious people when he said before Abraham was, I am. You realize what he did then, right? He equated himself as the Yahweh God, the pre-existing one, the great I am. In other words, one of the things that we do as we study and we examine the scriptures and we stand on the word, what are we standing on? We are standing on the exclusivity of the message of Jesus Christ. There is no hope apart from him. Make no bones about it. We cannot compromise on this truth. As unpalatable as it is to a generation of those who don't want to hear it, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. They must believe upon his name, not the idea of him, not the imagination of him, not because they can't come through any other way but the name of Jesus. I don't care how firmly you believe in Buddha, it's not going to equate over to Jesus. Good intentions will not get you there. Only Jesus. And you may say, why are you beating this up? Listen up, this is important. Jesus is it and we stand upon the solid word which is this and the person of Jesus Christ. What we must continue to be about here is making much of Jesus. We wanna make much of Jesus in what we teach, what we preach, and what we sing. We're a Jesus-centered church. It's about Him, for Him, through Him. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit, but the book of Hebrews tells us there's no one coming else, that this is the one, right? There's no greater manifestation of God than the person of Jesus Christ. That's who we claim. That's what being word-centered is all about. We want to be like the Bereans. We want to accept the word and believe in the exclusivity of Jesus. But we also want to be a people about the Holy Spirit. That we want to, we want to be able to grow upward, not just in the knowledge of the word, but also in the, in the power of his, of his presence in our life. You realize you can know this word from front to back and not know the author of that book it's the holy spirit that enables us to know him it's interesting the bible says in acts 1:8 that you shall receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth this is the this is the god that we serve who manifests himself as spirit to us jesus says better that i go away because i'm going to send who the Holy Spirit, the the comforter, the one who's gonna come and he's gonna empower and fill you and change you. We must grow upward in our knowledge of the word and our moving forward in the power of the spirit. Not only growing upward, we must do that, but also another pillar we're gonna have here is caring inward, caring inward so that none are neglected. We gotta care for those among us. Is is, is that important? That we are the household of faith, we must care for one another. We must do this. In the book of Acts, another snapshot we can take from there is they reached a point in this new developing churches, people were being added to the church daily. A situation began to arise where widows and orphans were not being taken care of. So what had to happen? That people had to be appointed, deacons, diaconos, simply servants had to be appointed to take care of the people. We must care for one another. It does us no good to go out and evangelize and not take care and disciple those that we have. We are the family of God. When one weeps, we all weep. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. It's part of our connection with each other. Now, we may frustrate each other. Do you ever get frustrated with people in your family? Never. It's just peace at your house, isn't it? Of course we frustrate each other. But what trumps our frustration? Love. We are family. We don't just walk away. We work through. We don't walk away. That's what the very nature and caliber of being a family is all about. We must reach inward and, and, and care for each other. And in the days to come, we're going to emphasize this. That new church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. We talk about the word fellowship. That's much more than just sitting around talking about the weather. The word fellowship, the word koinonia, we get the word communion. Communion means deep, meaningful relationships with one another. These things must happen. You realize church is more than just what we do on Sundays? It's more than just a steeple or a big room with a hipster pastor with a disco ball. It's much more than that. We are the church. We must take care of one another, cover each other. We don't want to be like the Galatian church and Paul warned them they were just devouring each other. God forgive us for ever doing that. We're not going to be that. We're going to care inwardly, right? We're going to grow upward. We're going to care inwardly. And you know what? We're going to reach outward. We're going to reach outward to those in need. If I were to tell you or ask you, what Acts chapter 2 was about, most of us would immediately know what that is. We would know that that was what? The day of Pentecost, Pentecost, right? We know the story. We know it because we've experienced it. We know it because we didn't experience it and don't believe in it. We know all about that story. And sometimes when we think about Acts chapter 2, we hear about the Holy Spirit coming and all 120 being filled and all of them speaking in tongues and all these things going on. And we get kind of, you know, sidelined in all this stuff but what's happening in this passage is something called cause and effect. Cause and effect. There's a cause. The cause is the Holy Spirit. He has come and he has empowered. And then what is the effect? They did not just stay in the upper room. The effect was what? The effect was they spilled out into the streets and begin to declare the word of God. They begin to declare about the person of Jesus Christ. Cause and effect. Now, I will tell you that I have a serious problem when I see cause and no effect. In fact, I begin to question the cause when there's no effect. Are you following me? In other words, let me tell you what spiritual gifts are not for. Spiritual gifts are not for what I would call spiritual gift romper room. Anybody want to remember the show called Romper Room? Come on, get your hands up. I'm not, surely I'm, okay, thank you. Romper room. This is how some folks in the church treat the spiritual gifts. We have our little treasure chest of toys and we roll them out into the classroom. Think about it, think of kindergarten days, right? They roll out the teacher and she opens up the little box and she starts handing out all the little instruments, you know, the little clappers and the wood things and the spoons and and they hand them all out and everybody, all the kids, oh, we're just making all kind of racket, sitting around the carpet, crisscross, applesauce, doing our thing, woo, we're making all kind of racket. And then when class is over, the teacher rolls back out the big thing, we put all the little things back in and we, and we put it back in the closet. Do you realize that many in the church today treat the spiritual gifts very much like that? We come to church or we come to our gatherings and we pull out all these wonderful things God has given us and boy, we just have the time, making all kind of racket. And then before we walk out the doors, we what? Put them back in the bucket and don't bring them out for another seven days. Can I tell you something? That's not the Holy Spirit doing that. Where there is a Holy Spirit cause, there is a Holy Spirit effect. If there is no Holy Spirit effect, then I seriously doubt the Holy Spirit is in the cause. You getting this? I am not impressed by anybody flexing spiritual gifts. Ooh, look what I can do! I'm much more impressed when somebody walks out of the door of this place, and God uses them in their home and, their workplace, and they're pointing people to Jesus because of the power that's operative in their life. You see, we have confused training with the game. We think the game is in here, but the game is really out there. In other words, when you go out these doors is when you go on the field. When you come in the doors is not when you get on the field. This is not the field. The field is in the cubicle where you sit 40, 50 hours a week. It's in the truck you drive. It's in the classroom you teach. That's where it is. And if the Lord is really moving in the great cause of the Holy Spirit, there's gonna be a noticeable effect in your life. So we don't want just cause, we want effect. When we start seeing effect, then we can say this is that which the prophet Joel talked about. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? This is that. You take the field when you walk out of here. Growing upward, carrying inward, reaching outward, and the last pillar that the Lord is establishing this church on is marching forward, marching forward for reformation. What does it mean to march forward for reformation? It means that you don't really march well by yourself. You march well in an army. You look pretty stupid if you're just doing this to the house by yourself, right? Does anybody march to the house all by yourself? It looks really like like you're an idiot. But you get a whole line of people marching in sync with each other, you know, then it gets pretty powerful, you know, hoorah kind of thing. You really get excited when you begin to march in tandem with each other. In other words, you begin to march forward when you begin to get in unity. You really can't march well unless you're unified, unless you're in sync, unless your cadence is clear and you're marching to the beat of a specific drummer. It's the kingdom of God. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, it says they were all with one accord in one place. When a lot of people study the Acts chapter 2, we get all fixated on the fire and the speaking in tongue and the mighty wind, and we sort of lose sight on the bookends of that verse. We lose sight on the unity and the effect of the proclaimed gospel. They're the bookends right there. What produced this great outpouring of God was the people were in unity with one another. They were in one accord. They were together in one place. They were in one mind and in one place. It's more than just about being in one mind. We got to be in one place. That's why the gathering of the church is so central to the whole thing. It's not just accomplished with you at home by yourself. They were together in mind and in space. And in time, the Bible warns us not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. We must gather together in a spirit of unity. The reason things have felt kind of weird and strange is we're you know, leading up to this you know, launch time as we're all on the tarmac. We're just gathering and we're unifying. You know what's gonna happen? You know why the vote next week is so important? It's a moment we come into unity. It is likened unto those 120 disciples that said, Yes, Jesus, we will go to the upper room and we will wait on you, Lord. It's we together with one voice, in one mind, in one space and in time, said, Lord, we're going to do this. And what happens when God's people begin to do that? Man, just wait. Power comes, unity comes. Now, I don't want you to misinterpret how I'm defining unity here. There are two types of unity. There's the loosen up type and there's the tighten up type. There are two types of unity that's taking place around the church today. Two types. There's the loosen up type. You know what the loosen up is, don't you? We got to kind of, you know, water things down a little bit. We don't want to risk offending anybody. We want to get a lot of makeup on Jesus. He needs a little bit more blush. Give him some Botox injections. We got to fix him up we got to make sure we're presenting a really pretty Jesus. We're going to really market Jesus to appeal to the masses. So many in the body of Christ are loosening up, loosening up the eternal truths that we know to be true to better market Jesus. Do you see it? If you're in tune at all, you know these things are going on. Sadly, sometimes by about well-meaning people who have good intentions, who are very sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. They are compromising. Jesus does not need makeup. Jesus does not need wallpaper. Jesus does not need to be beautified. Jesus does not need an extreme home makeover. Right, he doesn't. We don't have to market. We don't have to loosen up to grow in the way he's called us to grow. So there's many in the church that are rallying around this kind of loosen up unity. That's not going to be us, is it? But can I tell you, there's another unity going on. It's called the tighten-up unity. It's the recognition of the cycle that I alluded to earlier. It's the recognition that God is beginning to do a shaking and is causing a repentance and a return to the deeds that we did at first. To once again, tightened up on the eternal, immutable, transcendent truths of Scripture and the relationship with Jesus as the effective tools for this hour and this day. And I tell you, we're not alone in this. It's happening from sea to shining sea. God's people are wakening up behind denominational doors that run across the gamut, God is shaking and calling his people to tighten up and return back and to repent and do the deeds they did at first. It's happening. It's not just happening. We are a part of that very thing God is doing right now. The fact that you are sitting in this room right now and you haven't already fled to the hills is a testimony that you are a part of what God is doing in this hour for this region in his church. You're a part of it, I'm a part of it, go figure. It's the power of the unity of the body of Christ. This is the very thing, the very thing that God is doing right here and right now and we're part of it. Can you just take a moment and breathe that air in for a minute? Wow, this doesn't happen every day, right? This, I mean, what God's doing, this just doesn't happen every day, but it's happening here and it's happening now because the purposes of God, he's fixing to move us into a new season. A new season of restoration. We've come through some repentance. Now we're moving into a season of restoration and God's gonna restore back the power of this early church as he moves upon his people. Here we are unifying behind just the truth of why we exist. Why do we exist as a church family? It's more than a name, right? Meadow or Newbridge or First Church here, First Church there. You know what really matters is why we exist. Why God has, has put us here. Let me give you a statement and I hope you'll memorize it, but not just for the purpose of being able to quote it, but that it will work its way through your heart. Why do we exist? This is why we exist. We exist to lead people across a bridge from lesser loyalties. You've heard Jeff say this a lot, haven't you? Lesser loyalties. Lesser loyalties into a devotion to Jesus through a pursuit of word and spirit. Whether it's a vision statement or a mission statement, no, this is an identity statement. This is who we are. We exist. The reason this church family exists is to lead people across a bridge, to move beyond the diminishing things of the temporal life into full allegiance to Jesus. And how we're gonna do it is we're gonna pursue God's word and we're gonna pursue the power of his Holy Spirit to be able to do just that. Amen? So these are the things that we are signing up for. But how many of you realize that I can't do it by myself and you can't do it by yourself? But God is assembling together a body of believers to do that very thing. And I'm gonna introduce to you I'm going to introduce to you some of these leaders that God is establishing in this place this morning. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch, but it is the beginning, if you will, of the teams that God is putting together to establish His church in this place as we begin to learn to march together. Reaching what? We've got to grow upward. We've got to reach outward. We've got to do these things that He has asked us to do, but we don't do it singular- as a singularity. We do it together as the body of Christ. We together are his bride. So what I want to do is I want to call out some names of some people and I want to introduce them to you and some of the roles that they're going to be playing. I'm going to ask them to come and they're going to walk up these stairs and they're going to walk all the way down there and they're going to stand and they're going to form a line all the way across here. And then we're going to pray over them, and we're going to get a chance toward the end of the service to say, yes, Lord, we will come alongside, and we'll begin to serve. Do you realize we need to get ready? The reason we're doing this is to get ready for the harvest. It's coming. Listen, it's coming. It's coming, and we want to be ready when the harvest begins to come in, that people can come in, and they can find Christ, and they can be discipled, and they can start serving. So let me call some people, and I'm just going to call their names, I'm not gonna say a lot about them. I'm not gonna resist the temptation of commentary or we'll be here for a long time because these are wonderful people as I begin to call their names. But I want to introduce them to you and they are welcome to come and I've asked if it's, if it's okay with their spouse, they can walk up with them. If you are married, I believe you're a whole, right? You're a whole, you don't exist apart from your spouse. They're a, they're a partner in ministry always. Larry and Polly Bowker, would you come? Larry is one of our elders and also on our servant leadership team and assistant director. And you're gonna, Larry just go right back there and begin the line. Are Mark and Sandy boy yet here? Come on down, There, there we go. Come on down guys, here comes Sandy. She is part of our servant leadership team along with another lady I'll introduce you to in a moment, leads our welcome ministry and greeter team. Nick and Jen Kaufman, come on down. They're part of our servant leadership team, assistant directors. Tony and Karen D'Amico, come on down. Our brother Tony... He is leading our usher team ministry. And his wife, Karen, what a servant she is, working with our babies Sunday after Sunday. Yeah, amen, my goodness. Amen. What an example. Richard and Maria Davidson, y'all come on down. Richard leads the security ministry here as part of our servant leadership team, amongst a lot of other wonderful things keeps us safe. And his wife, Maria, is part of the team with Sandy Boyette, part of our greeter and welcome team. And Don and Karen Kemp, where are you guys? Don, you heard from him on a Wednesday night. Don is part of our financial team. He serves as our church clerk. not nearly finished. Might run out of stage space. Might have to double up, gentlemen. You might have to stand behind your wives. Even if they're taller than you. Dr. Richard and Treba Douglas. Y'all come on down. We can't say enough about him. He's an elder. He's our staff counselor. Helps in our care ministry and et cetera, et cetera. He and his wife are just and valuable parts of our team, part of our staff. And John and Leslie Gibbs, you guys here, come on down. They're new to the family here. John leads the project team ministry. He's the guy that's going to coordinate the handy men and women here at the church to to get things done, not only in this building, but also to serve others in our community that have needs that that require skilled labor and guys that understand that. Renee and Evelyn Glover. Renee, one of our elders and his wife deeply involved. Billy and Susan Ham, come on down. Another faithful couple. Billy is overseeing the parking lot ministry and team. That's there. there's a lot that goes into that. And his beautiful wife serves so faithfully amongst our children. And again, thank God, so faithful. I'm not sure about this next guy, but he's a little suspicious, but Walker Hill and his wife, Katie. <laughs> he's still a work in progress, but there's hope. Walker, along with his wife, they are our servant leadership team directors and that means they're overseeing all the ministries in the church that need volunteers. Can't tell you what a, what a blessing this guy is. Lowayne and Carla Johnson, my goodness. You guys come on down. Carla's part of our staff, women's ministry, care ministry, counseling, da da da. Just, and Lowayne, my goodness, what a gift this brother is, as we get to know him, part of our team. Nick and Catherine Kelly, Nick, he is part of our staff, part of our student ministry. With our middle school students, emphasizes those. So glad to have those guys. Greg and Suzanne Mason. Greg is one of our elders and his wife in women's ministry and No, I'm not done yet. I want you to see what's been going on the last few months. Mick and Lorna McDowell. Mick, one of our elders, his wife, oversees our food bank. Just integral parts. You guys might have to tighten up just a little bit, so just don't fall off the edge, Larry. Larry. And John Mileson, would you come? I'll get your wife in a minute, but John, one of our elders and one of our key ministry leaders, leads our small group ministry and so thankful for John. Ricky and Dottie Molinax. Ricky, our landscape team. You know, Ricky's one of the first guys that I met when I first came here for the very first time. And I knew I was gonna like this place because of Ricky. Big smile, big hug, full of love. Man made me feel so welcome on my first day coming over here. Thank you, John and Tiffany Neville. John and Tiffany. And John, as part of our part of the student ministry here, and he's been working with Heath in the college ministry and fixing to assume some responsibilities there. So appreciate this couple. You know, someone I'm fixing to call their name who doesn't get nearly enough appreciation. And I love this man. His name is Nick Bell and his wife, Leanne. Let him come down. I tell you, there's anybody that deserved a standing ovation? It's probably this dude right here. He works, that's all right, go ahead. He works behind the scenes, does so much. He's on staff, part of our tech and media team, works with Transforming Truth. Works so hard. We appreciate him so much, those that do so many things that are unseen, but yet indispensable in what goes on here. Christopher and Christine Peterson, on staff, is leading our student ministries here, works with children. He works alongside with Keith and Kaylee. They're just downstairs doing what they do so well. We appreciate those guys so much. Come on down. Jeff and Jill Rakestraw. Jill is our financial secretary. Again, some of the unsung heroes. Wow. Just packing it in. Dan and Carol Robertson. Come on down, Dan. Works with Tony D'Amico on our usher team and leadership and just do so much here. Another beautiful family, my goodness. I'm trying to resist the commentary. Is Jose Jose Rodriguez, is he here today? Yeah, Jose, come on down. And your wife, if she's with you. Jose. I should say, Pastor Jose and Zenny Rodriguez. They lead the Hispanic ministry here. Perhaps you didn't know that was going on every Sunday evening in this place. So, if you know some Spanish-speaking folks, you can invite them to church, and they'll feel right at home. They'll hear the gospel preached. They'll feel the love of Jesus every Sunday in this place. As you get to know Jose and Zenny, you will love them. Part of our team. Wonderful pastor. Wonderful friend. And Casey and Kristen Ryan, part of our student ministry staff, emphasizing high school ministry. who could not be here today, but we got a picture of two people, two people, Patsy Mileson and Glenn Mandernot. Patsy oversees our baptism ministry and our team. Glenn Mandernot in the days to come will be overseeing the men's ministry here. Many of you know he has done a little bit of that in the past, but he's managed to work out his work schedule a bit where he can devote a lot more time to the men's ministry here. So we're super excited about Glenn as he comes on board. And last, but certainly not least, Jeremy and Dewan White. Jeremy oversees our First Connect team and uh, visitors. You guys come on down. And one more Glenn, Glenn and Roz Richards. Glenn is our musical director here who works so hard. Come on down guys. Pretty impressive, isn't it? And this is just the beginning of the team that God is putting together to carry on the mission and the vision of what the Lord is gonna do in this place. Jesus called us to serve. The word teaches us that he did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for ministry. One of the things that we saw Christ do that show us demonstrated for us is that when he took up a towel and he began to wash the disciples feet do you remember that he knelt down and washed the nasty feet of the disciples this is God this is Jehovah this is I am in the flesh washing the disciples feet so what we want to do is we want to present each of these guys just with a towel this morning as a symbol of servant Leadership. I know these people. That's why they're up here. They're not drawing big checks, rest assured, not getting the highest accolades. They're here to do the very thing we're talking about to aim high in ministry and to bow low in service. So we've asked Brother Jeff to come. He is going to present a word, and as he does that, I'm going to walk along and I'm going to place a towel on each of their hands. So, brother.
1: The folks that are lined up on the stage are not all of the servant base here at Meadow, but these people in particular have been asked and have agreed under the Lord first and then uh, agreed to those of us that have recruited them to serve in very specific capacities here. We wanna affirm all the servants that are in the church, and this morning, I wanna preach just a mini charge. When I say preach, exhale, it's not gonna be a sermon, but I do wanna charge these people. You guys, and forgive me for turning my back on you out there, but I wanna speak directly to them. You men and women have been and are now um, publicly affirming that you are giving your life, living your life under the service of the Lord Jesus Christ and uniquely and specifically here at what will become next week, Lord willing, Newbridge Church. And as you commit your lives... And most of you have been doing this long before this moment. Um, All of you have, as a matter of fact. But as you commit today, let me give you a couple of verses. And I just want them to seep down in you. And may the Holy Spirit plant these deeply in your heart. May they bring forth fruit right here in this season. Because each of you is vital to the work that is going to be done. You are influencers. You are individuals whom God is using to make a difference in the kingdom. The people out here that are seated right now are going to be impacted by what you invest. Their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, they will all be impacted by the degree to which you and I and others serve this assembly. So this morning, I want to encourage you with some words about service from the scriptures. From Colossians chapter number three, um, Paul says this in verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, Work heartily. I want all of you to say that with me. Work heartily. That was real weak, servant team. Come on. Work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, we're going we're to benefit from your service, but you are working for the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. Verse 24 says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, and then he adds this, you are serving the Lord Christ. In First Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 This is what it said, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart for consider what great things he has done for you. What is going to drive your motivation is always remaining grateful and thinking upon what great things God has done for you. There will be times where the people you are serving, maybe even some of the leaders you are following, that we're not enough to motivate you to keep on going, but always remembering the great things that God has done for you will enable you to finish well and endure until the end. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, say that with me, knowing that your labor is not in vain. You're not always going to see the fruit the day after you plant the seed. You're not always going to reap in the same season that you harvest. You're not always going to get the appreciation that maybe might be uh, parallel to the efforts that you're putting in. But know this, that God is going to bring forth fruit. Do not faint. Do not quit. Do not allow discouragement to determine. In your activity. Ephesians 6, seven and eight, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this, he or I'll add this, he or she will receive back from the Lord. Then we've got First Timothy. Chapter number 1, verse 12, I thank him, God, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. I want all of you to know that God looked upon you, and he counted you faithful. In effect he says I can trust her with this activity in this season at this time in the kingdom I can trust him with this ability with this opportunity with these people I can trust them together to do the things that are necessary to bring forth glory for my son's name I can trust you all to work together as a team and I will say this on behalf of your pastors and your elders here we trust you we are not going to micromanage you we're not going to be checking up on everything you do we believe that God's hand is on each into every one of you. And that hand that is on you is going to anoint you and empower you. And the work that you do is going to then be picked up by others. This group will grow. I promise you that. And the group of people that we are serving will continue to grow. And I leave you with this last verse. And this is my favorite verse for all of us when it comes to serving. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unrighteous to forget the work and the labor of love that you have shown towards him as you have helped his people and you continue to help them folks serving God is about serving his people serving God needs no help God needs no service, God needs nothing. God has said this, if you wanna serve me, let me tell you where I'm gonna point you, I'm gonna point you to people. And so when we're talking about the church, we're talking about people, we're talking about the redeemed, the saved, the elect of God, the bought blood-bought ones, the forgiven, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church of the living God, the army of the Lord. That is where we're gonna pour our best into, the household of God, and as we strengthen each other, through this team, through you, and through others that will be added, we will see that effect that Pastor Dustin was talking about. The cause has already been given. 2,000 years ago the Son of God emerged from the tomb on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit came and took up the work that the Son of God left him and for 2,000 years the people of God have been advancing the kingdom. How? By serving one another not as unto men but as unto the Lord. This servant team will help us. Let's recognize them and honor them together this morning.
0: Don't leave just yet. so the Lord is um, always humbling me because I left out two very important cogs in this, in this wheel. It's called Jen and Bob Woodward. Would you guys come down? I scrolled right past your name. Come on down, guys. My goodness, what would we do without Jen and Bob? You just guys have just no idea. We so appreciate this couple on staff. Come on down here, Jen. I'm gonna put you right in the middle. I'm gonna really embarrass you. Just make you right, right down, right down front with Bob. She already told me make sure I don't get Bob the mic, or he would, he would connect the dots for us. We appreciate you working on staff. She keeps us all. On track, without her, I shudder to think what we would do. Thank you for your service. Bob works at our landscape ministry and so, so much more. We love you guys and really appreciate you. Amen. Guys, well, we're getting ready to do it. I want, uh, just before you step down, all right, I know you're getting tired. I want all of you guys to reach in the chair in front of you. Why don't you take out one of these cards real quick, or you can tear it off the side of your bulletin. There are opportunities now for us to get ready for what God wants to do here, opportunities for you to serve. If you will look on the back, it says, Meadow Family. What I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to write your name on this. There's a pen also there. You may have a pen. I want you to write your name. And if you believe that this is where God has called you to be, I want you to put a check that says, Count me in. I'd like to serve. You're saying, yes, I am willing to come alongside these guys right here and serve and get busy for the Lord. If you are already serving in a particular area that does not preclude you from serving in another one, there's lots of opportunities that make sense, right down in that big square an area you are already serving in. What's going to happen is one of our team is going to be giving you a call and letting you know where the opportunities are for you to get involved. Amen? We want you to write your name, write, just check Check me, I'm ready to serve. If you're not already involved, not already actively serving, just leave that area blank. Someone will call you and let you know about some opportunities that you have. They will not assign you an opportunity, they will have a conversation with you. So here's some areas where you're needed and where you can serve so we can all be a part. If you are already serving in an area, just note that in the little square box as well. One more piece of instruction. If you are not getting the calls and e-news from the church, it might mean we may not have your updated direction. Also take the opportunity to write down your number and email address as well, okay? This is only accomplished when we together as a team begin to march forward and begin serving alongside each other. Don't leave just yet, we'd like to ask these guys to return to their seats if they like, dismiss on down, be careful. Larry, could you kind of stand right there at the stairs and help folks as they, as they go down? I, maybe, Dad, would you stand right there and help the, and help the ladies just in case they need, a, they need a hand? Gotcha. So please take a moment, fill these cards out. After we sing, I want to encourage you to hand them to an usher on the way out the door, and then someone will be getting in touch with you over the next couple of weeks. We'll be doing this every week as we get ready to mobilize all of us, serving, rolling up our sleeves for the kingdom of God. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. I don't know about you, but that's an impressive sight to me. To see what the Lord is doing and what the Lord is establishing here that we're all a part of. Amen? So now that you're seated, let's all stand up. One last time. Let's worship the Lord together as we go out. If you would permit me, let me just say a prayer, and this song will serve as our benediction. Remember the vote coming up one week from today. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to see you out in the reception area. Let's sing before we leave. Father, thank you, Lord, that we get to do this. We get to do this for you. We get to do this together. Lord, your word says that they will know we are your disciples by how much we love each other. They will recognize us when we begin to act like you, Lord, and we begin to serve we begin to serve. So, Lord, we thank you. We give you our heart. We give you our soul. We give you our mind. As we sing, as we get ready to leave this place, Lord, we realize that this isn't the game in here, Lord. We we take the field when we walk out of these doors. And, Lord, may we go informed by your word and empowered by your spirit. In Jesus' name.